Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Joshua chapter 20. Hear now the word of our God, starting in Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give him give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in this hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the the strangers sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Then the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The, the Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, thirteen cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. And to the descendants of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, Libna with its pasture lands, Yatir with its pasture lands, Eshtemoah with its pasture lands, Holon with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, Ain with its pasture lands, Utah with its pasture lands, Beit Shemesh with its pasture lands, nine cities out of these two tribes, then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Almon with its pasture pasture lands, four cities. The cities of the descendants of Aaron, the priests, were in all thirteen cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohathites belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. 
To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge, for the manslayer with its pasture lands in the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands, Kibzaim with its pasture lands, Beit Horon with its pasture lands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Dan, El Teke with its pasture lands, Gibbethon with its pasture lands, Ijalon with its pasture lands, Gathrimon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Ta'anak with its pasture lands, and Gathrimon with its pasture lands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohathites were ten in all with their pasture lands. And to the Gershonites, one of the clans of the Levites, were given out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Golam in Bashan with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, and Be'esh Terah with its pasture lands, two cities, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its pasture lands, Dabarath with its pasture lands, Yarmut with its pasture lands, Enganim with its pasture lands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Helkath with its pasture lands, and Rehob with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh and Galilee with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamoth Dor with its pasture lands, and Kartan with its pasture lands, three cities. The cities of the several clans of the Gershonites were in all thirteen cities with their pasture lands. And to the rest of the Levites, the Merarite clans were given out of the tribe of Zebulun, Yoknaam with its pasture lands, Kartah with its pasture lands, Dimna with its pasture lands, Nahalal with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its pasture lands, Yahaz with its pasture lands, Kedemoth with its pasture lands, and Mephaath with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its pasture lands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Machaniam with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, Yazer with its pasture lands, four cities in all. As for the cities of the several Merarite clans, that is, the remainder of the clans of the Levites, who, those allotted to them were in all twelve cities. The cities of the Levites, in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel, were in all forty-eight cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it, so it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we sang from Psalm 49 that no man can ransom another. And as we look at the cities of refuge, but particularly, we see something of what that meant for Israel's history. Uh, chapters 14 to 19 have given us an account of, of the western portion of the inheritance. And we've seen it centered around Israel's worship at Shiloh, where they have set up the, the, the tabernacle. But... Chapter 13 had provided us with the introduction with reference to the Eastern inheritance as given by Moses. And so chapters 20 to 21 now speak of a couple of other items that Moses had commanded that now Israel puts into practice once they've now received the land. Uh, the, the cities of refuge and the Levitical cities are provided for in, in Numbers chapter 35. Uh, Levi is scattered among the other 12 inheritances or Thirteen inheritances, if you count the two halves of Manasseh. And God does this in order to remind Israel that they are one people. And also that the inheritance of the land is pointing them to the inheritance of God himself. Now, just as you, as you listened to those, all those Levitical cities, I don't know, maybe some of you are wondering, how come Aaron and his sons received so many cities when, I mean, 
Aaron's sons are perhaps, I mean, Aaron's own sons are still alive. Uh, two of them have died, died in the wilderness. How many more sons were there? Thirteen cities for just Aaron's sons? Really? So, just so you know, that doesn't mean that the, the Aaron's sons were the only people living in these cities. Uh, we'd already heard about how Caleb had received uh, Hebron. And so this is, it's rather, these are cities that they are given particular, uh, this, this is where they are to live. It doesn't mean they're the only people who live there. So just, just so it's clear that, in, especially in the case of Aaron's sons, uh, actually when you go through the rest of Israel's history, it's very clear that there's a lot of Judahites living in, this, in, these, in these Judean cities. There's a lot of Benjaminites living in the Benjaminite cities. But these are cities where these particular Levites are, 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 to, be, are to, be, to be settling. Now, the, the cities of refuge uh, are laid out in chapter 20. As the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. Now, back in, in Numbers 35, we get a much more detailed description of how the cities of refuge are supposed to function. But the summary we get here summarizes it nicely. Uh, all the way back in, in Exodus 21, back when God first gives the Ten Commandments to Israel, God had promised that he would appoint safe havens for those wrongly accused of murder. Uh, if, you're, if you're wrongly accused of murder, you, you, you want a place to go and make your case. Uh, whether for Israelites or strangers or sojourners, anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. That's what God says in Numbers 35:15. And just for the backdrop to that, in those days, there was no police force. So if, if, somebody, if somebody kills your brother, how do you deal with that? There's, there is, you, there's, you can't call 911. They don't, they don't have phones. You can't go to the police station and file a police report. How do you deal with it when somebody kills your brother? Well, there's a reference to the avenger of blood. Basically, the family gets together and says, Okay, you, you're the one. Go. Bring justice. Kill the guy who killed your brother. Okay, you're now the avenger of blood. It's your job to go find the guy who killed your brother and kill him. That's basically, that's how, uh, that's how justice would be brought. Now, you might say, whoa, uh, where's, the, where's, where's the court process in all this? Well, that's, where this, that's, where, that's why God gives to Moses a system for, okay, if, if it was an accident, how do you avoid, because part of it is, uh, it's really hard to negotiate when, there, when you, you say it's an accident, but you know, sort of, how do, you, how do you negotiate with a, a relative who is really upset about what just happened to their, to their brother? So, and yeah, try to convince him that it was an accident. And that's the purpose of the cities of refuge. If someone says, whoa, it was an accident, then he can flee to the city of refuge where he will be able to make his case. He comes, he comes to the elders of the city and he makes his case. It, it was an accident. And, and it's, it's actually, it's, it's really interesting to think about the way this works. This is, this is sort of like a grand jury in reverse because usually in our system, the grand jury is, is asked to bring probable cause against the, the guilty. Here, the, the one who claims to be innocent can make his case and say, hey, I'm innocent. 
And so there's, they now, as long as his story sounds plausible, the elders of the city of refuge are to take him in, and uh, and then if they if they if they determine that it was an accidental death, uh, then uh, or they don't determine, they take him in as oh, this sounds plausible, then the case will be tried before the congregation of his home city. And that's where uh, Numbers 35 goes into much more detail on this. Uh, and there to hear the, the home city, the, the home city congregation, which is the, the assembly of, of the, the, basically the citizens of the city, uh, they are to hear the case and judge between the accuser and the accused. If they determine that it was an accidental death, then the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge. This is Numbers 35:25. The, the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled, and he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. What's, so what's going on here? So basically, the, the person who has been, who has claimed, I'm innocent. If, he's, if, if, the, if the congregation... In the, uh, this, the congregation here does not mean church congregation. It means, the, might, you might say, the, the, the civil assembly of the, of, the, of the citizens of the town. If, if they hear this and say, okay, he's innocent, he doesn't get to go home. He goes to the city of refuge where he will live until the death of the high priest. So now, why does God do this? Well, Israel has now taken possession of the land. We've seen repeatedly in the book of Joshua. Joshua is the one who causes Israel to inherit the land. The book of Deuteronomy had made it clear that the law could never bring you into the land. Moses, the lawgiver, dies outside of the land. Moses only sees the land from a distance. It's Joshua who causes Israel to inherit. So the law is not given as the way to inherit the land. The law is given as the way to live in the land. And if you think about it, that's actually very much the way the New Testament speaks as well. You cannot win favor with God by law-keeping. The law cannot cause you to inherit eternal life. Only Jesus, the greater Joshua, causes us to inherit eternal life. So when when it comes to the way to inherit, the law is useless. But the law is very useful in showing us how to live in our inheritance. So let's think about that in relation to the cities of refuge. The point for Israel is that even manslaughter has consequences. Blood stains the land. Okay, sure, it was an accident. But the blood of another human being was on his hands. And so he has to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Well, again, back in Numbers 35, only blood can remove the stain of blood. Numbers 35, 33 says, You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. There's no way, and this is actually Psalm 49 that we sang this morning, to redeem a life is costly. How do you redeem a life? Well, in the case of, in the case of one who is guilty of, 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 of murder, only his death can cover that. There's one exception, though. The, for, the, for the manslayer, the death of the high priest 
covers his, his death. The high priest, the one who is anointed with the holy oil, he's the one who bears the sins of Israel upon himself every year. And when he, when he goes into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice, he is the sin-bearer of Israel. And he bears, and actually, uh, all through, what, what does he bear? He bears the unintentional sins of the people. The manslayer is covered by the high priest. The manslayer is not guilty of murder, but he has destroyed inadvertently the image of God. The only way for him to avoid death is for another to die in his place. And there's only one who can do that. And so only when the high priest dies, the manslayer is acquitted and may return to his home. Now, you'll notice that the, the cities of refuge model has some similarities to imprisonment, but it's not at all based on a sort of, it's not a rational system in the sense of, uh, you're, you know, 20 years in the, in, in the city of refuge and then you get to go home. No, it's, I mean, if the high priest is old and dies six months later, he goes home six months later. If the high priest is a young guy and lives 60 years, you may never go home. The punishment of the manslayer is connected very explicitly to the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's only through the death of the high priest that the accidental shedding of innocent blood can be atoned for. But also remember that if the manslayer gets caught along the way, if he fails to make it before to the city of refuge before the, the victim's kinsman shows up, then it's permissible for him to be put to death. And no bargain is allowed to be made, either for a murderer or for allowing a manslayer to return to his city early. As, again, Numbers 35, for blood pollutes the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. And why does God say this? The reason given is because I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. God dwells in the midst of his people. Now, I once said that it's because God dwells with his people that Israel is supposed to, it has these strict statutes. That's partly true. But it misses more than half the point. And the true part to that was, yes, because God dwells with his people, his people need to honor his image. The nations around them have images in their temples. There is no image in the temple of God, or more precisely, the image enters the Holy of Holies once a year. When the high priest enters the Holy of Holies, then there is an image of God in the sanctuary. But if all you say is that God's presence requires strict justice, you wind up missing the whole point of that justice. Why does God say, no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it? Well, yes, because the wages of sin is death, yes. But in the case of the manslayer, it was an accident. Where was the sin? I mean, think about it this way. You're driving down the road safely, carefully. Someone swerves to avoid a deer. You wind up hitting him. He dies. What did you do? I mean, you did nothing. I mean, he swerved to avoid the deer. You, 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 you had what sin did you commit? None. 
but you were the unwitting cause of the death of this person. And your life will never be the same again. And that's where, in a sense, the principles of, of Numbers 35 and Joshua 20 reflect on this. And they also provide a way out because the death of the high priest covers the shedding of blood. At the death of the high priest, your blood guilt is removed and you can go home. All of this is because God dwells in the midst of his people. And his purpose is to dwell in his people. His purpose is to unite them to himself. The, uh, God's presence with his people is not just the reason why you have to have strict statutes. It's also the reason why there is a, there is, you might say, grace at the end. Because the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. When the death of the high priest becomes a once for all death that removes our blood guilt and restores us so that we can go home. That this is where the blood of Jesus doesn't just cleanse us from sin. It also restores all of the miseries of this life. The, it's, it's not just... It's, it's not just the uh, pe- paying the penalty for our sin, but Jesus is the image of God. He is the eternal Son of God who was image of the Father before all ages. And he joined himself to our humanity. He became the high priest after the order of Melchizedek so that there might be a death that would deal once for all, for all of our sins, for all of our accidents, for all of our miseries. And that's... Partly why throughout church history, church buildings have been viewed as sort of miniature cities of refuge, a place where an accused person can flee in order to get a hearing. Now, they don't provide safe havens forever. If a person is guilty, they will be handed over to justice. But it provides the innocent with a chance to be heard. Now, it's also worth reflecting on on what these principles are saying and, and how we should think about them. Because... The Old Testament law was designed for a very different society than ours. I mean, if you try to take justice into your own hand and vigilante justice is is frowned on in our culture, the Old Testament laws have also a lot of ceremonial principles that were prefiguring Christ. But there still are basic principles of justice that are useful for us to reflect on. We call it the, the general equity of the Old Testament civil law. Uh, equity is, is a helpful concept to think about. The, the Mosaic statutes are, are not binding on all nations. America is not required by God to establish cities of refuge. But the equity, the, the principle of what is right and fair, is important for all nations to embrace. And one principle is, is that the one who commits murder deserves death. But also, one who accidentally kills someone does not deserve death. But even the accidental taking of life is not a neutral thing. We, I think sometimes, sometimes we treat it as, oh, if, if, if it was an accident, then you, just, you can just go on with life as, as usual. But there needs to be some way of making that determination fairly. Our legal system makes a, a clear distinction between murder and manslaughter, but we've also cheapened life so that some lives mean more than others. Right now, everybody points fingers and says, oh, well, those people don't care about these lives. And if you judge according to the word of God, the problem is, in our whole society, 
we don't treat human beings as the image of God. So it's not surprising that everyone sees part of the problem. Because the problem is we're not valuing human beings as the image of God. There's a, a popular misconception out there that says, whoa, but if you value human beings as the image of God, then you must be against the death penalty. But the problem is that misses the point of what murder is. If you murder someone, your life is forfeit. The one who kills a murderer is not actually committing murder. Because God said in Genesis 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. I mean, Our text for tonight points out that if you kill someone unintentionally, your life is forfeit. You have struck down the image of God. And that's not okay. Even if it was an accident, your life will never be the same again. But in the case of the manslayer, the death of the high priest is substituted for his own death. God is teaching his people the principle of substitutionary atonement. The high priest dies in your place. The high priest's death is counted as your own. And that's where we need to see that, yes, the death of Christ does cover his... He is the death of the... His his death is the death of the high priest. And those... It's not just that we go back to life as normal, but rather that we recognize, yeah, the taking of life is a serious matter. Well, verses 7 to 9 then describe the the cities of refuge and gives the Kadesh in Galilee and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. If if you look at the map, they're basically on the the west side and on the east side of the Jordan, they're spaced out pretty evenly so that there's a a place that's relatively close for any any Israelite to, to run to. Uh, The three on the east side of the Jordan uh, had been appointed by Moses in Deuteronomy 4, and now as the rest of the the tribes receive their inheritance, the other three are, are given as well. And each of these cities in chapter 21 is then also given to the Levites, so that these, these cities of refuge are also Levitical cities. And again, in chapter 21, it starts with the focus on, remember what Moses had said, as the, 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 the Levites now come to Eleazar and to Joshua, and they say, remember what Moses said? Please, give us, give us our cities. And so Moses commands Israel to give the Levites cities with their pasture lands throughout all Israel. The, the six cities of, the ref, of, of refuge belong to the Levites, along with 42 other cities that are divided up from, out of the other 12 tribes in proportion to their inheritance. Uh, verses 4 to 8 give us the overview of the Levitical cities clan by clan, 13 cities for the sons of Aaron, uh, 10 cities for the non-Aaronic Kohathites, 13 cities for the Gershonites, 12 cities from the Merarites. And Again, part of, part of the point is simply the, the faithfulness of this generation. Because what the Lord had told Moses, that's what they do. They do precisely what God had said. Then, then it gives us the more detailed account, uh, city by city. And uh, so the, the, the family of Aaron is, is given cities in Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin. And uh, the priestly families will be centered in the heart of the land. This is the place where Abraham had offered Isaac, uh, the, the region surrounding Jerusalem, so Benjamin and Judah there. 
And then the rest of the Kohathites received cities in, in Ephraim, Manasseh, and Dan. Uh, Shechem in Ephraim is the city of refuge for the central region west of the Jordan. The Gershonites have the, northerns, the, the, sort of the northern section, the northern city of refuge, both in the east and the west. The Merarites received cities in Zebulun, Reuben, and Gad, uh, with Bezer, the, the southern city of refuge in the east, and, and Remoth Gilead, the central city of refuge in the east. So there's, there are these 48 Levitical cities. And the, Le- the Levites are, are scattered throughout Israel as a perpetual reminder that Israel's inheritance is God himself. That they're given, the, the, the Levites are scattered through all the others as a, as a way of reminding the church of their unity. That they're not just each tribe off on its own, but there's Levites scattered throughout the whole of Israel in order to remind us that, that the inheritance is, is not just a piece of real estate. In the, you know, in the same way we talk about when we talk about the church, we don't mean a building. We talk about the church is the people of God, and that's what God was teaching Israel: that the land was a place for them to see in a glass darkly the glory of their true inheritance. And verses forty-three to forty-five then remind us of God's great faithfulness to Israel. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now, this is where... This is, this is one of the passages that sometimes has been, um, you might say, overread, because it says, oh, see, you know, they, they, they conquered the whole land, they took possession of the whole land. Read carefully. <laughs> it says that, that not one of their enemies had withstood them, and that's true. When they bothered to go fight, the Lord gave them the victory. But as we've seen, several of the tribes haven't bothered to go take possession of their land. If you don't go, you can't take possession. So God, God did all that he promised. Israel didn't necessarily do all that God told them to do. And, but God accomplished his promises. He had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give their descendants the land. And he has done what he promised. In the same way, our Lord Jesus has caused us to inherit eternal life. He has brought us into the inheritance. It's actually, if you, if you think about your own life, you can actually understand what the book of Joshua is saying. I mean, how well have we done at sort of putting into practice the things that God has told us to do? If you're like me, then, well, eh, I've done some things. I haven't done very well at many things. Well... That's what's happening in Joshua's day. God has done all that he promised. (laughs) We are less good at it. He has been faithful to his promises. And that's where what he has done in Jesus is he has caused us to inherit eternal life. And now he calls us to, to take possession of it. To take possession of it in the way that we now live before him and before, before one another. 
He has been faithful to his promises. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. There are no, there are no enemies that threatening to chase Israel out of the land. Sure, I mean, if you, if you know what's, what's coming next to the book of Judges, you know, you'll know the, the Philistines are there and there's Moabites and Edomites and there's, there's all sorts of enemies surrounding them. But God was faithful to his promises and none of their enemies had withstood them. Now, as they rebel against him, then there's all of these people surrounding them that God will bring to, uh, to, to chasten them for their failure to believe his promises. And that happens to us. Oftentimes God does chasten us. And it's, sometimes it's for our sins. I mean, when, and honestly, if, if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of the stuff that happens to us that we're like, mm, yeah, I haven't been following God faithfully, so it's not surprising that X, Y, or Z happened. So it's, it's not wrong to say, oh, this is probably happening because of something I did. On the other hand, sometimes, you know, this the story of Job is always there. It's just, as I've observed before, we're awfully quick to say, I'm suffering like Job. And it's like, hmm. How often are we really that innocent? <laughs> so just be, we have to be careful not to just sort of like always portray ourselves as the innocent one suffering amidst all these other people who aren't. Especially if, if that's if you if, if you if you notice yourself falling into the pattern of of pointing because remember Job Job never points fingers at other, anybody else. So if if you if you're feeling like you're always pointing fingers at other people because of what they did, that's not the way. Where, where does Job point the finger? God has done this to me. And he was right. <laughs> so that's where, if, it just, if just thinking about if you find yourself pointing fingers at others, that's not the way Job does things. So if, you, if, you, if, if this is where, for us, as we think about what God is teaching Israel and what God is teaching us in the inheritance is, Again, Jesus has taken, has taken, he's given us the inheritance. He has caused us to inherit eternal life. And now he calls us to take possession, to walk forward faithfully day by day, moment by moment, step by step, in taking possession of the land that he has given us. So let's pray. Oh Lord, our, our God, we thank you for the inheritance that you have given to us of the new creation, that you have, you have given us all things necessary for life and godliness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we marvel at your great kindness to us in him who loved us. And we, we pray that you would continue to have mercy upon us and that, and that by your Holy Spirit you would help us, that you would strengthen us by your grace and that you would give us wisdom to see by faith what you are doing, that we might love you and love one another, that we might walk faithfully in the midst of, in the, midst of the trials and, the, and the, the temptations, the, the tribulations that you send. Lord, have mercy and help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might hold fast to, to you in the midst of, of all, all the trials of, of this age. Lord, we, we remember those who are called by your name throughout the nations who are, who are suffering for the sake of Christ, and we ask that you would have mercy upon your people, that you would strengthen them and grant them to, to, hold, to hold fast to Jesus no matter what persecution may arise. 
And we, we think of those who are suffering through afflictions of, of war and of famine and of disease. And we ask, Lord, that you would have mercy. Have, have mercy on our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and give them grace to, to, to hold fast to Jesus and proclaim him faithfully in the midst of their trials. For those who are still suffering with, in, in regions stricken by COVID, Lord, have mercy and grant, grant wisdom to doctors and, and, and scientists who are trying to help. We pray, Lord, that you would give wisdom to our, our rulers in this country and throughout the world, and as so many are trying to figure out how to avoid a spreading war, that you would, you would have mercy and that you would grant, uh, grant us peace, that you would help us as your people to trust you in the midst of all these things, that we would have confidence that, that you will continue to bring to pass all that you have promised, because we know that not one word of all the good promises that you have made to us will fail. All, everything is a yes and amen in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So help us as we walk before you and grant us your grace to trust you in, in every situation. For those, Lord, who are suffering through afflictions, of, we pray that you would sustain and comfort them. We pray for, for those who, who are afflicted in, in body and in soul, that you would grant to them your, your, your comfort and your healing and your grace. Have mercy upon those who are, who are depressed and anxious and grant them the hope in you. We pray for those who are, who are afflicted bodily, that you, would, that you would raise them up and grant to them uh, healing and strength. Help each, each one of us in, in, the, in, the, in dealing with the temptations that come our way, that we, might, that we might flee from temptation and flee to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, that we would hold fast to him in the midst of trial, knowing that, that you will never forget us and you will never leave us or forsake us because you have seated your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at your right hand as King of kings and Lord of lords and you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us that we who once were strangers and aliens might be drawn near, made fellow heirs with Jesus, that we might become one body, united by faith, to, by one spirit in one body as those who belong to Jesus. Help us, Lord, then to love and comfort one another and to encourage one another. And we pray that you would be with Nathan and Gina as they, as they grieve in the loss of their, of their little one, Hope. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would have mercy upon them and, and bless them as they travel down to Kentucky this week and grant them your comfort and your peace. Have mercy, Lord, upon each of us as we walk before you in the coming days that we might keep our eyes upon our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.